Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. Hey guys, if you're looking for the Portland Real Estate Investing Podcast, don't worry, we're still here. We're now the Realized Gains Podcast. We have the same great guests and interviews, and of course, the same great hosts. Check it out. Once you have your reserves, then as long as it makes sense, for me, if it cash flow and it has potential equity growth, yes. You might not see equity within the next one or two years, but I know that, especially in Oregon, Portland, we have a lot of stats and it shows a lot of numbers. And I'm confident in Portland, so I, I would still invest if I could get a cash flow. Thanks for tuning in to episode 13 of the Portland Real Estate Investing Podcast. My name is Jordan Lee, and I'm your co-host today. Uh, I'm a mortgage lender in based in Portland, Oregon, and I'm licensed in about 13 states. And I invest primarily in single-family residents. Yeah, and I'm your co-host, Stephen Tran. I am an Oregon-licensed real estate agent, and I'm a multifamily investor. And today we are interviewing Tony Nago, who he's been an agent for over 15 years, super well established, and, and really at this point, kind of a mentor towards agents, and, and I would consider him a mentor as well. Uh, he's a big time investor. He, he basically wrote the book on Burr, which is, you know, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and then repeat. Uh, he's invested in mobile home parks. He, he's invested in single family stuff. He's done a bunch of flipping. Uh, and then he has commercial projects as well. Uh, and another thing that he does is he does joint ventures to scale. Uh, yeah. I partner with him. Do you? Yeah, me too. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> if you don't know Tony or you haven't partnered with Tony, I don't know what you're doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is a great episode. So tune in. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Portland Real Estate Investing Podcast. Uh, my name is Jordan Lee. I'm Stephen Tran. And we've got Tony Nago with us here today. Hey there. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Tony. Uh, I, as, as you know from our introduction, Tony's a super experienced investor and he's, he's been in real estate for you know, 15 plus years. Um, real quick, Tony, you want to just kind of tell us you know, what you were doing before real estate, how you kind of made that transition to real estate and investing and, and kind of the story there? I started in real estate back in 06. Um, before that, right after that, high school, I started a cell phone shop. So I did that for about six years, transitioned over to being a realtor. Eventually in 2012, I became an investor slash realtor still. Okay. So you were selling cell phones for a while. How did, how did you go from just out of high school to be like, I, I'm going to open my own business and sell cell phones? So I started, I had a summer job and, you know, after school job. Worked at McDonald, then went over to Old Navy, yes. then went back to McDonald, and I just hated the <laughs> nine to five. You didn't like flipping burgers, or were you the guy on the radio? 
I was a guy that drive through. I was the assembly guy. I did a bunch of different things. Okay. The thing that broke the camel back, let's say, I was at the PSU McDonald. Mm-hmm. The not even the manager manager, it's like the system manager was telling me that, <laughs> hey, you have to go back into the trash area and sweep, sweep up or clean up. And I was pissed. I was like, why do I have to do that? Um, and then he said, do that or else you can pay all your paycheck. I said, okay. Um, so I ended up quitting that day. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and then after that, I just jumped over to do cell phones. The reason was my cousin had a um, movie business or movie rental business, the Asian movie rental business. Oh, like a VHS shop? <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so she was doing that, and then she had a space within her business. So I came up with the idea of selling actually um, car parts, like um, body kits, tail, uh, tail lights, stuff like that. But that didn't go as well. So I added cell phone, and the cell phone took off. So I did that primary for six years. Okay. And so this is it. And back in this time, what was this? Because I know cell phones now are totally different. What was the cell phone landscape then? Really, we were just selling um, services, service provider. It was like T-Mobile, back then Voice Stream. So each time I sign up someone for a year to year contract, and I'll get a commission. Okay. I think it's like a hundred bucks. So yeah. Were so. you selling those phones with the fancy light up, uh, everything on the back? <laughs> uh, true story. Um, I did but I did not know how to do it. So actually I bought the parts and then the client asked me to assemble it and I didn't know how. So I actually took it to my competitor, I asked him to install it and then I brought it back and I gave it to the client. You just charge a premium on it? <laughs> Is that what you Yeah, did? pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> because my first, go, my first go around, I didn't know how to do it. Because you gotta cut out something or else it won't fit. So I didn't know, but yeah. yeah. And I mean, how did you feel starting your own business? Did you like, how did you go about it? Like, I know that's a big jump. There's a lot of paperwork, a lot of, you know, things to get started. How did you jump into it and get going? Honestly, I didn't know better. And it was really just, you buy phones on credit, like 30 day, 60 day credit. Um, just off your credit card. Or did you have like a business line or something? No, it was like a net 30 from this provider. Oh, they gave you their own line of credit. Yeah. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, so they gave us like 24 and 30 phones, which is about like, you know, 100 bucks per one. Okay. They gave us a 30-day net. The commission comes in, minus that off, and then we start over. Huh. And then... So you probably, did you even keep your own like P&L and everything separately, or you just used what they have? Just whatever they have. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, and then at that time, my mom guaranteed the... Low, uh, you know, um, she co-signed for you, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, the net thirty and still. So from that, that's how I got started. Mm. And did you? Who did you? So you, at that time, you were selling pretty much to the Vietnamese community because of your cousin, or was it a mix of clients? It's mostly Asians, but heavily Vietnamese because the video store was um, basically Vietnamese movies. Because this was before that you could get that stuff online, right? You had to like go in to get it. Yeah, pretty much because the the movie thing is released like once a week. So there's a continual clientele that always Mm. come out for those movies. And then since I was there and at that time, there's still a lot of English barriers and stuff like that. So I was more or less just a translator to the cell phone service and the people that's activating them. 
Right, right. So, okay. Yeah. And I remember you telling me like you had some pretty crazy weekends, like the margins were pretty good. Why did you have to get out of the cell phone world? So originally it was only one year contract and within our community it was really easy because every year they'll upgrade and the phones, voice stream T-Mobile, they use the SIM chips. Um, so that phone, you could use it again in Vietnam. Mm. So that was a big benefit. Oh, oh so they could sell it to their family back in Vietnam. They just shipped it back. Yeah, so they'll just upgrade. So like the next year, they'll open a new account. The old phone, they'll just send back. Mm -hmm. So it worked out really well because each year they come back. So my clientele kept on getting bigger and bigger. Mm. Um, but once they transitioned to two-year contract, I kind of saw this sign on the wall. Basically, if you have a number for two years, it's really hard to change. But if, you, if your number is like every year changing, they get used to it as a habit. Um, and then when what I was doing, it was called churning uh, every year. And that's frowned upon within the industry because T-Mobile and stuff thinks that once they have the client, they don't want to pay the commission again on the second year. Oh, okay. Because it was like their initial setup commission because they were getting a new number every time. Mm -hmm. I see. So, so it was like bigger than just renewing a contract. Yeah. So, so like year one, husband signed. Year two, wife signed. They kept on going back and forth. Worked <laughs> out for me f for a while until they say, "Hey, stop doing that." I stop. <laughs> and uh, obviously, you started real estate after that. Like, what got you into that? Like, what sold you on I should become an, a real estate agent? Uh, uh, truthfully, back in two thousand six, when I was transitioning, I was trying to figure out. A, should I be a lender or B, should I be a realtor? And I was in a parking lot over at, I think, 92nd and Sunny, uh, Sunnybrook, um, which is like near the Costco. Actually, my first office was there. I used to work for Remax. But I went there, signed for some paper or something, and I saw the cars. A lender has crappier cars. A realtor had <laughs> That's still cars. true. By the way, <laughs> the problem back then I did not know is if I went with lending, I had a nice hour, nine to five, and pretty much it. And I have weekends and nights off. <laughs> and those cars are paid for um, versus the realtors where most of them are leased. And so, and I have to work all the time. But so you're, you're saying lenders have more financial sense than realtors? Some lender has more <laughs> We'll see in the next few months, right? Um, so, and, and why were those your two choices? Like, why did you know you wanted, had you bought a home already? Like, what made you know that you wanted to be in real estate? So, I bought my first house when I was, like, 19. Oh, you had and, already purchased a home then? Yeah. Um, in 06, I was 24, I think. Yeah. How did you purchase your home at 19 working at McDonald's? <clears throat> no, I... And, um, I started my business when I was 18. Oh, okay. And okay. then 19, I bought my first home I bought from my cousin um, the funny part was because back then there's Wachovia countrywide or whatever they have like pickup pay payment for oh, yeah. plans so option to pay right yeah <laughs> so my first home I bought from my cousin uh, my other cousin gave me the or lent me 20% down payment mm -hmm. um, my landlord at that time actually wrote my income statement or verify my pay stubs or whatever <laughs> oh, because, so yeah so i bought the home pretty much i was zero down uh, and as long as you had a pulse back then you're able to sign yeah. so it's pretty cool um this is your first burr <laughs> 
No, um, I kept it for a long time because that uh, that home became a rental, and then I actually moved back because after two thousand six seven crash, and then eventually in two thousand fourteen or fifteen, I ended up selling it to do ten thirty one on it. Um, it took me a while to let that go because that home was my first home and it was my safety net. Right. Like I felt if I ever screwed up, I could always go back to McDonald, make my minimum wage and still afford my $1,000 mortgage payment. Right. But once I sold that, it kind of ripped off my bending, but I felt really good after I sold it because now instead of earning like a hundred bucks in passive income, I traded for a sixplex, and I think we're doing at least fifteen or two thousand dollar a month on that. Wow! You traded a, a single family home to a sixplex within how many years? Two thousand? <coughs> what was that? Two thousand to two thousand fourteen? Yeah, we bought it back in o two. No, oh, yeah, two thousand one or two thousand two. Yeah. At that time, that at that house we paid one fifty for it. Eventually, I ended up selling for like two fifteen. So I didn't have a lot of equity. However, I took that equity and I went to Sweet Home and I bought a sixplex for two thirty. Sweet so, Home, where is that? It's about thirty minutes away from Corvallis. Oh, okay. Yeah, small so, town. Yeah. So you can imagine, um, single family back then in two thousand fourteen fifteen for two fifteen I sold, which now is probably worth two seventy five or no four seventy five, but I traded a single family to a sixplex only two thirty. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's not, I mean, that would be a great, well, obviously a great deal today. Yeah. You know, that's a great deal in like Mississippi. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I did that with the 1031 exchange and then it just increased from a hundred dollar passive to like seven, eight hundred bucks right away in that year. And now it grew to a lot more than that. Do you still hold that, own that property? Yes. And you renovated a couple of times at this point or? Um, add a new roof, paint, new doors and windows mm. um, and the same year we end up buying another 14 unit down the street so we have the same so we have like 20 unit suite home uh, flash forward a couple years later we did a refi out we took all of our money out and it's still cash flow the same so it was a burn at the end of the eventually day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. just took a little bit longer than some of them yeah. yep yeah and I do want to jump back to kind of like your real estate agent career you mm -hmm. jumped in 2006 I'm sure a lot of agents were just you know doing a million deals here and there and it looked like good money like how are you feeling when you got started and then the crash happened so the cool thing about my uh, my start was I never uh, felt the success back in 0504 with most realtor mm -hmm. in 2006 it was on the tail end before it started going down in 07 because um, so, rates were had gone up right in 2006 they were I just looked this up they were at like six and a half percent which is kind of similar to what we're seeing right now after being lower right yeah so when I bought my or what about my second home I think it's like in 04 my first rate was probably like five or six and then my second was like seven or eight mm -hmm. so I did a second on it with like 10 percent or something mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the rate was high and the market was kind of, everything kind of paused in 07, 08. So um, for me, with real estate, it's, I didn't know better. So I didn't know what to expect. And I just did what I did for a couple of years until 2012. Then when it 
I shifted from being re reactive agents to being proactive. Mm. Um, so that's where from 2012 until now, um, a lot of my uh, value and stuff that came from, I guess. Mm. So, and, and were you able to, from running your business, your cell phone business, were you able to transfer some of that client base over to real estate or um, did you not have those kind of relationships or how, how did that work? Nope. Um, the cell phone business is more transactional. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have any of those people come, uh, come through. I probably should have kept better names, phone numbers <clears throat> and stuff, but yeah, I started over. I mean, you were 19 back. years old. You didn't know what you were doing. No, at this point, he was 24, 25. Well, when he started, yeah. yeah. You don't know how to like set up record keeping. And... I, I still don't. <laughs> That's um, why when Tony picks up the phone, he's like, who's this? <laughs> no. Don't, don't we have call ID, so it's not too bad. And I actually keep notes on, um, on people now uh, with my contacts. So at least I know their kids' names and pets and stuff. <laughs> so uh, how did you survive from basically 2006 to, you know, 2012 with high interest rates and the market slowing down and people being scared. This is like a good five to six year period. Uh, how are you basically surviving financially as an agent? Now I got learned. So I met my wife or my um, back in 06, 07. And from there, we really we were surviving off of one income. Mm -hmm. She was the W2 earner. Mm -hmm. um, eventually the commission that I did make we put that into more investments. So uh, for quite quite some time, we did the Dave Ramsey stuff, you know, like 300 bucks, 400 bucks a month, um, trying to live off of that. We didn't go crazy. Right. I downgraded from a Mercedes to a Prius, and eventually I went to another Toyota for a long time. Mm. And so until we had a good passive stream of income, we didn't start spending. Um, we were really budget conscious for the fir you know the first five years of our marriage. So you kind of used one income, your W two income, just to focus on your expenses, make sure you didn't have a lot of debt, but then use all your real estate income. You just pushed into investing in real estate and other right. passive income investments. Yeah, we doubled down, tripled down Sorry. on uh, on an investment for at least five to ten years. And and right out of the gate, were you kind of like, were you pretty risky or were you more conservative or how did you go about, were you looking for flips or was it more for rental properties? How did you strategize? Uh, so our investment career really didn't take off until probably like uh, 14 or 15 mm. because I think our first investment we did buy it was probably back in 2010 or 12. Okay. And then we slowly built on from that. And then that was like a traditional say of 20% or 25% or something or no. Um, so I always been pretty creative. Um, I bought, so my wife and I bought our first condo, uh, for 45 K because it was a short sale. Okay. Um, we cash it up, but of course I didn't have money back in 2000, 10 or 12, um, I ended up borrowing money from family to buy it in cash. Um, so it's a 4 or 5K condo. I used an excuse and then I was able to get money because my family don't support my 
um, investment habits. Um, <laughs> they didn't want to give you money to invest in a speculative real estate investment. They wanted to give you money for something else, though. Uh, they'll, they'll give me money for bailout. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> bailout from jail. <laughs> Mom, I need to pay my credit card. <laughs> Any sort of bailout. Yeah. But investing, no, because they're not—they're uh, not believer investments uh, back then. They weren't then, but now <laughs> they're becoming it. more. Yeah, <laughs> they're willing to write blank checks now, but before then. They're more cautious. Hmm. Let's, yeah, we'll just say that. So I bought my first condo, 45K. HOA was like 300 bucks. Oh, I was able to rent it out for like 1200 through Section 8. Hmm. And then another condo popped up um, in the same building complex. And when I bought it, this area, 92nd Favel, is named Felony Flat. I didn't know better, but eventually I figured out why. Uh, it's still a great investment, but yeah. Everyone else told me to stay away from it, but 45k for a, a three-bedroom, 1,200-square-footage condo, that's it seems crazy. cheap. It's paid, all paid off. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, I would, yeah, I'd buy it there any day. I don't care how many crimes are happening. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and, uh, so I bought the first one, and then another one came up. That's like, okay, so how can I go buy that one? Um, I can't go back to my family and have the same excuse. I need to be bailed out of jail again. <laughs> I'm sorry. This cell phone business has really hit me hard. And so uh, so that's my first time learning about hard money. So I took the free and clear mm -hmm. one. I bought the second one and I crossed them both. And they actually gave me a check for like 70K. So I actually got um, some. So they put back. a lien on both of those properties mm -hmm. and yeah. then gave you. Okay, so they collateralized it. Yeah, um, so that's my first time paying like seven points. Um, three points was going back to the guy that in made the connection. And then four points was through the company that rendered the money. <laughs> uh, but seven point at, you know, 60K is not that yeah, bad. It's not crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, nowadays, yeah. Um, and then it was 12% interest, but I was paying like 800 bucks in interest for a couple of years. And but I'm collecting like 2400 minus my 600 bucks HOA because 33 on each side. I'm still making so it's still cash flowing, felt like free money. I didn't it even know you could hold hard money loans for that long. Yeah, um, they, they allow up to like 23 months. Okay, as long as you're making your payments, right? Yeah, and as long as it's an investment because the new uh Dodd Frank laws and stuff. Um, so I did that a couple years later, I did a refi out. I think the new interest rate was like five or six percent. Um, Home Street fi uh, financed me, so that was pretty cool. And then flash forward a couple more years, I ended up selling each of them for like one hundred six, so I doubled my money. Wow! Yeah. And so at this point, you're more or less have replaced the income that you were making in the cell phone world passively. No, but back in the days, I made really good money on cell phone. It's just yeah, I, I just never kept it. <laughs> Spent it on That's Mercedes. That's where you got the, Mer yeah, yeah. Say the Mercedes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a good life back then because, what, we opened at 11? Um, so, so I'll go into the office or the shop at 11, 12 o'clock. I, um, I went out for lunch for about an hour, and then I usually take off around 3 for happy hour. <laughs> that's, a good, that's, a, that's a nice work day. Yeah, no, it... it it worked out really well for a while, but yeah, um, I just never kept my money. I should have. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah. 
and you know you were buying through this whole period where people were still pretty scared like 20 2006 to 2012 like what made you keep just putting money towards that investment like you said you didn't even blow up till like 2014 so what were you like okay yeah let's just let's get another one is it just the price point and you're like this has to go up somehow or and no, I just like collecting three, five hundred bucks a month on each rental. So always cash flow for you. <clears throat> uh, yeah, mo yeah, most of our deal that we buy cash flow. Um, last year we bought a couple of things. Well, uh, we call it land banking, so we're bank banking on the land, and so it's kind of breaking even. But yeah, but I don't suggest that until once you have a certain amount that. It cannot unravel, but yeah. You mean you can support it? Yeah, without not, having a head. With, that, with, yeah. with your other investments, basically, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so at the beginning, I'm, we're very cautious. We're just adding more properties that cash flows. That makes sense. Um, like a couple of years later, we end up buying a couple of the uh, duplex in Longview. And at that time, that, that was a pretty cool. Uh, that was a good investment. We did use hard money on those too. Um, back then I think it's like 100k for two units and we're renting them out for like six, seven hundred bucks a piece. Um, hard money again, 30% down, still kind of cash flow and we kept on adding more on that and we just liquidated them. The last one this, early this year, right? The one yeah, yeah, yeah. Earlier this year, I helped uh, help yeah. you sell one of those. Yeah, uh, so that was pretty cool, and we sold it for three three times what we paid for it, and most of them we did ten thirty one exchange, you know. Yeah, and you're cash flowing the whole time. I mean, I, I know that's long view, but even the one on Flavel, you were saying like that uh, that obviously cash flowed because you bought it all cash for five right. k. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Portland's not a a cash flow market now. Right now, yeah, yeah. So I I think I, obviously I wasn't buying real estate back in you know, 2010, 2012, et cetera. But I, I find it kind of crazy that you can cash flow that much in Portland. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, like a couple of years ago, we bought stuff in Columbus, Ohio, at cash flow until you receive their repair bills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it just depends on what, what you will in the stomach. Yeah. Um, our state now is probably more of an equity play than a cash flow play. Yeah, because you don't need that money on hand right away, like it's just like a little piggy bank that you can access later. And it grows faster, it grows your wealth faster, right? It depends, but like my goal is always gotta have some sort of cash flow, gotta have some sort of equity play, um, you know, the upside on it. If not, then I don't wanna touch it. But I'm in a different position now where I'm able to be more choosy. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jordan. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty early on when I met you, Tony, you had done an interesting project where you you found a a home that was a lot that you were interested in. Actually, it was in North Portland, and you you bought the home, demolished it, and built two um, attached <clears throat> homes on it. At what at what point did you kind of realize, okay, I, I'm buying these, I'm you know I'm renting them out, but now I'm going to move on towards like flipping and you know, renovating and, and, and value adding, I guess. The flipping part was because um, back in 2014 or 15, I was helping, I'll, call, I'll label it as a soccer mom. She, she was buying deals between 
she, you know, so she dropped off her kid at private school, like go to the gym for an hour or two, and then buy properties and then renovate them slash work them up, work it, you know, like make it nicer during the weekend with her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and then pick up her kids at 2.30. It's like, if she could do it, I can do it. <laughs> um, from that, that's how I started uh, you know, so one of your rich. clients got you into it. You want or was it a client or just a friend? Or? A client. Yeah, a client for a while until she said, "Hey, you want to buy the stuff that I'm buying?" It's like, no, it's stuff that's through RMLS. You have first div. Um, I'll buy stuff through wholesale, but eventually, yeah. Mm. Huh. So that's cool. So you learned. I, I have also, by the way, learned investment strategies from a client. Um, so that's, that's, that's great. Um, so you started flipping T- tell us about your little, I know you have, you're famous for like Tony sharing his failures. Tell us about some of the mishaps that, cause I mean, obviously flipping can work out really well, but it can also be, it can be hard. Um, tell us some of the struggles that you had with flipping. Do we have 10 hours? <laughs> <laughs> it um, be an extra long episode. We can cut it up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, let's see. Like, or uh, one in particular maybe that was like, I should have known this. Or a I, horror this story if you have any. Yeah. Uh, horror story. Um, Irvington, there was a nice home on 26. I want to say 1722 Northeast 26. Uh, it still gave me nightmares. Um, so, so we bought that as a JV with a wholesaler friend, hmm. and then it took, I think, it, like it took us twenty k just to dump out the stuff. It was very interesting. Oh, just to clean the property. Was it a hoarder house? Yeah, but it was really nice hoarder house though, right? Like they had magazines and stuff stacked um, in the basement. They have egg cartons that they use for insulations. Oh, and, but it's very nicely insulated. Um, Would weird. that pass code today? <laughs> Will it pass? Yes, as long as it doesn't get wet. Uh, so as long as there's not mold. But yeah, so the story was he died in the basement. Um, so everything's kind of left alone for about a year. So it's interesting. But we w- we went through that. Uh, I think our biggest mistake was the master bedroom. Uh, uh, it was on the upper level with only one bedroom, but if we could have had like a master with two other bedrooms, like three bedrooms on one level, probably was sold a lot quicker. We end up, it was nice, but then we end up kind of breaking even or losing a little bit on it. And so that's one failure. Um, and the, so the issue was that you had to spend more cleaning it out than you thought you would, and then it sold. Did the market turn, or did it just sell for less than you had comps out for? You you weren't being conservative enough in your comps. Our renovation budget just went way over. I think mm. we were budgeting one fifty, but end up like two fifty or two twenty five. Oh Jesus! And then it just sat on the market longer because it was not as desirable. Location is great, but it's just not desirable um, with the layout. I see. And then if I could go back in time, anything that I could not make money on back then, I should just kept it somehow as a rental or whatever mm-hmm. until I can make money. But yeah, that's mistake number one. So you're saying like even if you so if you can't move it right away, maybe just refinance out, even if your monthly payment isn't cash flowing a ton, 
as long as you're not stuck in there too much, eventually rent's going to go up, mm -hmm. value's going to go up, and it's better to do that than to lose, take a loss. Yeah, especially in Portland, if we wait seven to ten years, most property, especially inner city, will probably double. Mm -hmm. uh, That's been be the story eight, for the last few decades, right? Yeah, it might be eight to twelve right now, but still, you know, within the next ten years, everything will double. The past forward failure number 99 <laughs> um, it's just really handling your contractors is probably the biggest gripe that most people say because I, I have a good contractor and then I try to add a different contractor he was more detailed upfront paperwork wise this and that seemed nice and so we signed him up for two projects and it was a horror story um, it's just a big challenge mess uh, messy we had to go through arbitration and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it costs a lot of time, of course, a lot of money and a lot of possible money because, you know, it just uh, took, a, uh, took a while. So that was a bad, uh, bad thing. And then um, a different one is the same thing. It's just contractor. You got to vet the contractor really well or you got to be really hands-on. If you're not, then you got to send it to the pros pay a little bit more, but make sure that it'll get done. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, obviously you partner with both of us. Can you kind of talk about your selection choice with like partners and how that works and how you go about that? Part, uh, partner wise is really trying to, we all have different traits. Um, nowadays I'm more selective than before. Before it was just a little easier because I didn't know better, but now, <laughs> yeah, it's different. I like, I partnered with Jordan because um, we're looking for the same thing. We're looking for a passive income. Uh, we're both extremely busy. We don't have a lot of time, so we wanted stuff that's hands off. And at that time, interest rate made sense, property made sense. And so we're able to jump on and buy a couple of properties. Um, so higher or less, it's more like vetting out the deals. He's the one that blessed it, and he handles the rents and mortgage payment stuff. Um, so yeah, and so that's that's one thing that we're doing, and we have a goal in there to build it up more. But because of the current market, we're probably going to wait until the price drops or rents really make it more desirable to jump back in on that concept. Yeah, and you know, wait until they find the right deal, right? Yeah. And then with Steven, um, I really like the, you know, the investment stuff, the flipping or more of the burr stuff. And I believe you have more time. You're willing to do more of the day-to-day -day GC stuff. Um, and without trust, you know, there's no partnerships. Yeah. So. Yeah, trust is a big thing. And I feel like. Um, you know, I've been advised to like put together contracts and, and do all this stuff, but, and, and of course I, I think an attorney will always advise that, but I think more important than having a contract with someone is having a base level of trust. I mean, there's the trust and well, the contracts for it's like, you know, I think the most important thing is what happens if somebody like passes away or something, you know, obviously mm -hmm. horrific happens. Like obviously you have a contract to put things in the right place, but I, I really do think that having that trust in your partner is super important. You can have a contract and have somebody do absolutely nothing. Right. You know? Yep. So that's good. 
Well, and at least in our case, you know, if you're both on the mortgage, there's built-in contract, right? You both, it affects both of you, right? If you're both on title, you're vested in a specific way that some of that's built in to a certain extent, which keeps you honest. <clears throat> well, you, um, on the deeds, if you have both names on it, but if you label it as survivor ownerships or, you know, whatever, then one died, the other one gets the whole thing. So. Right. So that's why you got to know how to vest properly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you still got to understand the wording and stuff or else, yeah. Consult with the state attorney. It's, yeah. it's usually a good idea if you don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know a lot of people who, you know, invest with a lot of people based on potential and not a lot of trust. And, you know, a lot of bad things can happen. So, Right. That's true. Yeah, if you start with the, the trust and then move on to the potential, it's usually a good good yeah. partnership. Yeah. Yeah, like, like our deal on 91st, we might actually end up losing money. Yeah. So the next question is, do we want to try again, or is that one and done? <laughs> well, you know, I, for me, I like, you know, I, I think it's okay to make mistakes. Like, I think I've had a pretty good track record of things working out so far, and I think, you know, the ones that don't work out teach you a lesson. Like, I think for us, you know, this is what our shared horror story is that, hey, we didn't get a good contractor, and and you know, maybe it's important that our contractors write notes or have a record of what we ask them to do because you know we can tell them to do the same thing ten times, and if they don't do it, then maybe that should be a sign early on to fire them. You know, because <laughs> I went to talk to that same contractor a ton, and they're like, yeah, 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 I'll get it done, and I come back and it's done either it's not done or it's done wrong. So you know, that's a lesson learned. Like, hey, maybe it, like you were saying, maybe it's better to just you know pay someone who's going to do do a good job yeah and then the, uh, the timing right like normal flips take three or four or five months and the landscape can change really quick yeah and so if we were able to keep it within that time frame we probably we probably would have made money yeah um, but we stretch it to almost a year so a lot of stuff can happen in a year so that's where it was our bad but the next question is after we unload do we end up trying to look for a different deal because the market is shifting do we wait do we you know like well, yeah and uh, i think that between us is like we have that trust i think and i don't think it was any of our bads it's just things happen the way that they did uh markets changed extreme like drastically from when we purchased it till now so those are things we couldn't have exactly foreseen you know how drastically things could have gone so i th i think that's okay it's a lesson learned and I'm okay with like getting the money out and figuring out, hey, what is a good use? What's a good use for this money in this time? Which we would love to hear what your thoughts are. If like you were to, let's get, say we got out of this deal completely even, what would you do with that money that we have? Yeah, where are you seeing deals in this market right now? What are you? What are your clients asking you about? Talking to you about? So, uh, just being a realtor, right now I'm just helping clients that's a that's relocating. Mm. Or B, they're renting and they want to own. Mm. Um, I'm not really getting a lot of clients that are having a three bedroom and wanting to move to a four bedroom because their current rate is probably like three or four, let's say, and to switch to one more bedroom, that's like a thousand and fifteen hundred bucks more in payment. They'll make do in their three bedrooms. Mm. So I don't see a lot of people transitioning up. And vice versa. I don't see a lot of tra uh, people transition from bigger home to a smaller home. Why trade to a smaller home uh, for the same payment? Hmm. 
Um, so yeah, so I'm trying to focus on more re relocation clients and more maybe people are just done with college and they're looking to buy. Right, right. Or they're looking to house mm -hmm. hack. So at house hacking, interest rate doesn't really matter right. because they're trying to build equity for the future. Yeah, are you seeing anyone, any people like interested in like value add stuff now, or you know, is our wholesalers having more stuff available? What about that kind of world of renovation? Uh, so the uh, yes, wholesaler does uh, does have more inventory. Pricing is even with wholesale deals. There again, price reduction, price improving, because a lot of stuff doesn't sell. Um, the only question is, how do you comp stuff out? Mm. Because today might be worth 600, a month from now it might be 590, they keep on going down, so how does that work? Yesterday I was having lunch with my PB, principal broker, he was telling me each 1% interest rate that goes up, you're really losing like 50K in value. Mm or buying power and stuff like that. So it's very tough. Yeah, especially if you're in that like six to 800 price range. I mean, obviously if you're in a market where homes are 150 to like 250, it's it's not the same kind of value shift, but in, in a market like that buy up, mark, move up market, especially in this area, that's kind of tough, huh? Yeah. Um, like I have a client that's looking over on the west side at 1.3 price tag at 6.2 interest rate, 20% down, uh, they're paying like 7,000 bucks. But if they're able to get buy down or do an arm at 5.6, their payment is like 6,000. It's like a thousand dollar difference. It's crazy. It just imagine a year ago when interest rate is like four, it's like, wait, 4,500. You oh, know, geez. like, yeah. it's a big difference. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that was, and part of the reason there was so, so many bidding wars and stuff is because it was like, oh, you know, add on another $50,000, my monthly payment went up, you know, 150 bucks or something like that. It's like, you know, so, so, so minimal compared to now interest rates are up nearly three and a half percent from this time last year. The, the difference is, is definitely felt. Or is doubled. Three and a half last year and now seven. So you doubled the interest rate. Yeah. Uh, now, so that's why some banks are having 40 years terms and stuff like that. So they're trying to ease the pain, but who are they easing? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still curious to see if any and Freddie will ever adopt that. But <clears throat> Well, I mean, I know it's tough for just like regular home buyers, but are you seeing any opportunities for investors? Are you sitting on the sidelines? Like, what would you, what are you thinking as an investor, like looking to obviously make money with real estate? I'm I'm still buying if the number makes sense, but foremost, I gotta have enough reserve or backup for at least one year, um, and I can't touch that because you know we don't know where the market is. Like this year in June and July, I had my first zero commission. Um, that's by design, not by default. But you know, you gotta plan for the worst, and mm. I think. Especially a lot of newer agents, they haven't seen the worst because most of them started like what, the last five years. So it's probably gonna get worse before it get better. Yeah. Um, so I'm commission based, so I'm very nervous about that. I, luckily, I have passive income, so I'm not. You know, my life is not going to change. 
I might not be able to travel more every weekend yeah. now it's, now it's going to be more like every other weekend <laughs> I, I, I might have to stay in town now versus flying out <laughs> but we'll see um so yeah so it's just different but once you have your reserves then as long as it makes sense it, for me if it cash flow and it has potential equity growth yes you might not see equity within the next one or two years but i know that especially in oregon portland we have a lot of stats and it shows a lot of numbers and I'm confident in Portland so I I would still invest if I could get it cash flow with a fixed interest rate of course <laughs> <laughs> do you see any opportunity in getting something in this current obviously interest market and then refinancing down the line when things get a little bit better if it cash flow but a lot a lot of time when we analyze numbers it doesn't cash flow especially when investment interest rates like a seven and a half yeah. percent right now like you know i mean obviously people are getting better deals now in terms of the actual sale price you know are you telling like what are you how, how are you working that with clients you know and so the client that's buying is really they're in an apartment they're buying so of course it's better it than rent right yeah it's better than renting uh rents will all goes up at least this you're in a home no one can force you to move you can always house hack as long as you can qualify for your mortgage, you know, because I've done that and it works out really well. Um, or people that relocate here, they have to buy. Yeah. And then there's always cash buyers and then interest rate doesn't really matter. Yeah. No, I, I mean, like I said, I coming from the Bay Area, I have a lot of Bay Area friends who are like, oh, I can get a house for a million dollars. I have all cash. I'll come do that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you still get your six, seven percent return on it why not yeah mm -hmm. exactly we just have to find a different clientele than we're used to yeah which is you know it's tough for a lot of people you know i back in january we we're all throwing like hundred thousand dollars over for our offers and hoping for the best no inspections i know we had a couple of those ourselves like like oh they're not fixing anything okay i guess there's nothing we can do about it i guess we'll just take it yeah um i I just closed a deal today for first-time home buyer. They uh, they were nervous a couple of times, and <clears throat> so they paid five k less than asking, and they got a five thousand dollar credit for a closing cost. Um, they were expecting to buy the property as is. They did the home inspection. There was a couple issues that came up. Uh, they asked the seller fix these items or else we walk the seller did not even negotiate they say okay they'll fix it and so that's where the market we're in and then they actually kind of went through the process and then they were um, interest rate went up so they had to buy down their rate mm -hmm. and then seller actually willing to help after the inspection period is over contribute another five thousand to help buy down the rate because seller did not want the house to go back in the market and so you know um, buyer paid a little bit more to keep their rate lower seller helped a little bit to bring down the rates and then it closed today yeah so but, there is opportunity you know if you are creative with it if you push hard and you have a great agent obviously i'm pointing at tony by the way for <laughs> listeners <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just uh at the end of the day right now it's more of a team sport than uh, than before mm. before seller had the rights, has you know all the control, all the leverage. 
now it's more of hey we got to make it work together or else you're not selling buyers not buying and yeah yeah i think there's more psychology in play uh in this market for sure like okay are they willing to go on this market i'll dare them if they're going to do it it's play like playing poker with uh, the seller kind of uh, well at the end of the day it gotta be a win-win and then agents listen agents understand that hey if the property is off the market for a month numbers has changed and coming back on there's always going to be what happened uh, but if they could figure out how to keep it together then it's probably for the best of all parties because if it does come back on the market it's probably going to have another price reduction yeah so it's not did they really save five thousand or going to lose ten or fifteen once it goes back on the market yeah so yeah no i'm, I'm sure that's Really, like that's a lot of steps to think through for a lot of agents who are just like, well, you didn't want to take all my money over asking. Now we really have to think about it. Think about like, okay, these are your repercussions if you go back on market and are you really willing to risk that? Yeah, and then it depends on the seller paying, right? Like going back into the west side property, um, that seller that is trying to sell that home bought a home back in May. Um, and now they have double payments and mm -hmm. they're going through November, December, which is the holiday month. And Portland is notorious for not moving a lot of product during the holidays. So, you know, it's, they just did another price reduction of like a hundred K. They started out at one nine. Now they're down to one three oh, and they probably won't take one two because they don't want double payment or else they have to go rent the home. And yeah. Yep. So it's just tough. Are they losing at one two? No, because they bought the home twenty four years ago for like two hundred thousand. But yep. it's just bad timing. Yeah. Okay. So you've been in like major growth mode the last fifteen years, pushing everything you could, doing burrs, doing flips, um, doing JVs. Are you at this point thinking about? moving more towards consolidation or are you still in growth mode what's your kind of five-year plan or when it when is like when have you reached that point where you'd be like okay i can kind of step off the gas a little bit i i step off the gas probably did earlier this year um <clears throat> i do buy when there's an opportunity but it has to be like a huge opportunity um so you're waiting for like the low-hanging fruit you're not you're not trying to get the scaffolding and get whatever you can no um, i'm i'm really cherry picking i wait for deals to fall in my lap mm. i if there's a lot of resistance i'm out uh, i i enjoy spending my time helping my clients uh, find, uh, find their homes find their deals but me personally i'm not going to do stuff unless it's easy mm. and then it's going to be a guaranteed winner um couple years ago I had a model of, uh, of uh, by 10 one will be bad so I have 8 out of 10 but now it has to be perfect each time if not then I'm not touching it because I really don't want to lose I'm hoping the last bad deal I have is 91st our deal that's, that's uh, me and Tony's deal right now yeah you know but beside that moving forward it's going to be Overanalyze before I jump in on something. So instead of that, I'm just gonna make a quick decision. I know the I know the long term market's good. I can just like you said, yeah. if, if as long as I make eighty percent of them good, now it's I'm gonna find every red flag that I can before I buy this property. Basically, yeah, yeah. Because um, 
and nowadays I do more JV stuff, so I'm okay getting hurt, but I don't want the JV to get hurt either. So, mm -hmm. so the cool thing is, like, I'll analyze it. The partner would analyze right. it. Right, have a couple sets yeah. of eyes on it. That helps. That's that's a good point in partnership too, is you can look at it from a couple layers. We have right? both. Uh, both everybody's risk tolerance is in there, so right. yeah. you know, when everybody's comfortable, then you know it's probably a better deal than. You yourself, you may be, you know, feeling emotional about a property yeah. or whatever, and make a rash decision. So it's good to have multiple sets of eyes. Yeah, and then like my biggest thing is, if I'm not happy about a deal where I can like go uh, shout from the rooftop, I'm not gonna buy it because, you know, I was like, when when you have a hot potato, you're very excited, you want to tell everyone, but when you have like average deals, like. Eh. So yeah, if, if you're not posting about it on Facebook, then it's probably not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't shared a lot of stuff on Facebook in a while, but yeah. yeah. But, yeah. And Tony, you, you've mentioned to me personally about uh, like getting to a point where you're just paying down your properties. Do you think you're going to get to that soon and you're just going to stop buying and just pay things off so that they just cash flow even more? Or? So yes, um, I, I have a personal goal when my son – um, finish high school so he's in fourth grade now so we have probably another eight years uh, I truly believe that we're going in a, into a recession so whenever we get there I want to start buying a couple more properties and then the next run up I'm gonna start unloading um, my goal <laughs> is to be debt-free from everything when he start college and then if I want to start building it up again, I'll build it up under his name because by then he'll be 18. Okay. So you might liquidate, you know, 30, 40%, 50% of your profile. I'm hoping 25% to cover all my debts. 25 tax. Okay. So if that works out, then that means Portland probably doubled up in the next 10 years. I see. I see. And then I'll probably transition a lot of property liquidating is more fun than paying off the mortgage individually one at a time huh uh, you can always do the snowball effect it's not too bad <laughs> so yeah so uh, just finding your your angles right because um yeah uh, the snowball effects i like but then interest rate is so low right now it's like it's hard to pay off stuff and they only have one friend that has property that's free and clears yeah eventually i want to be like him <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a goal number in mind? Like, you know, how many prop, how many doors you want to hold or how much money you want to ha have each month or that you feel comfortable with that you're, you're aiming towards? Uh, I'm comfortable with where I'm at now. If I could triple what I have in passive income and it's all free and clear, um, I'll be very, uh, I'll be a happy camper. Okay. Mm -hmm. So still some work to do. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I know we have a lot of first-time investor listeners here. Like, you know, for someone looking to get started, like, what would you recommend for them and how, how to get going? Uh, if they're local in Portland, um, I truly believe in house hacking. Mm. Uh, buy, uh, buy a home, especially if you don't have kids yet. Uh, buy a home with 5% down, 35 down, etc. Or go buy a duplex, triplex. Something with the ADU. Yeah, and then rent it out, try to live as cheaply as possible, but still in decent living standards. Uh, save that money for the next purchase. Um, and then add a couple property then, and then eventually when school become important, then go buy your forever home or 
mm -hmm. uh, uh, your transition home. But at the very beginning, especially after out of high school, out of college, just buy something. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you know, you got to build equity. The younger you start, it's yeah. a lot easier than later. Yeah, you're much more willing to share if you have a three-bedroom house. You're much more willing to share one bedroom than when you're married and have three kids. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, or but but by then maybe you can buy a house with an ADU. Yeah, and then it's separated, mm -hmm. or turn the ADU into an Airbnb. But always have that house hacking mindset because mm -hmm. like why do you want to pay for the whole mortgage? Yeah, either have your other properties pay for it or have somebody in your house pay for it, you know? Yeah, yeah. find a way to live for free. Yeah, mortgage, yeah, mortgage free. And some people pay off their homes. Some people have tenant pay off your homes. Your choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Thank you again, Tony, so much, obviously, for the friendship and for the mentorship and for coming on the show. Um, if, if someone wants to reach out to you, pick your brain about investments, where can they find you? Um, Instagram or Facebook and then of course my website movewithtony.com and I'm always always available. What's your uh, Instagram handle? If I know. Um, Tony Nago PDX Realtor I want to say. I thought it was Tony Realtor PDX. Ah, yeah. Perfect. Well, we'll post yeah. it. We'll post it. We'll link it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not social media. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks Tony. Thanks Tony. Thanks for tuning in to the Realize Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.